Good afternoon. Welcome to the third of our Noonday Lenten Worship Series this week. I invite you to take your hymnal and turn to page 191, the Passion Chorale, O Sacred Head Now Wounded, and then lay your worship guide inside that hymnal and stand with me, please, and let us read responsively to begin this service. Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their way and the unrighteous ones their thoughts. Let them return to the Lord. The sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit, a broken spirit and contrite heart, O God.
Mike, if you would, to pray with me. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of allowing us to gather here in this chapel. We thank you that we have the desire to be here. We pray that you would speak to us through your word and that is preached and through um, continuing messages and song, that you would remind us and that you would help us to believe in what sometimes seems to be um, unbelievable in the reality and the truth of your resurrection and our resurrection if we are in Christ. Um, pray that you would give us resurrection hope and that we be resurrection people. We offer this prayer in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Um, thanks again for your presence here um, on this Wednesday of Holy Week. Um, just to make sure you know, tomorrow, if you come at noon, you will have the opportunity to, um, in solace and silence and solitude, pray, which maybe you should, uh, but we will not all be here. Um, but tomorrow night at 630, we'll have our Maundy Thursday service in the sanctuary. It's a really powerful and meaningful service, so we encourage you to come. Um, we will celebrate the Lord's Supper together and uh, be reminded of all that Christ has done in laying down his life to serve us. Um, speaking of service, um, parties and wonderful things don't happen without somebody working to make it happen. And uh, so I want to thank all the ladies who have been so faithful to serve and make preparations for lunch. Thank you for doing that all this week and for what you'll do on Friday. And if you're in Heritage Hall, um, poke your head back there and tell Carrie thanks. And Carrie does a lot of hard work on behalf of us so that we can enjoy um, things like this. And so we're grateful for that. Um, Cameron Cole, you know, I, I somewhat flattered him by doing introductions. He doesn't need an introduction. You know who he is by now. Um, he has been so faithful in his ministry at Church of the Advent um, downtown, working in various areas of family ministries. Our church um, uses some of the curriculum that's produced by um, his ministry, Rooted. It's been a real blessing to our congregation and um, excited about the days ahead as the Lord continues to work in and through Cameron to be a blessing to our church and our community. And so we thank you again um, for being here. Um, we have so many talented people in our church. Um, sometimes I think we probably don't appreciate how much talent the Lord's put in this place. Um, but Chris Farley and Sarah Rich are two of the most uh, beautiful singers anyone could ever know. And so we're so excited for you to come and um, bring an important and powerful message to us through song, after which we look forward to hearing you, Cameron.
God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the Amen. You do, you do have a lot of talent, Wayne. You're exactly right. <laughs> Holy cow. Um, I, I just cannot tell you what a blessing it's been to be with you this week uh, at every level. It's just been one of the highlights of my year, and um, I'll never forget it. And um, gosh, I said this on Monday, but I, I walked down this very aisle and uh, you know, made public profession of faith in Christ, and I'm just really just overwhelmed by the Lord's faithfulness and gratitude, uh, gr faithfulness and generosity to me. Um, but um, I'm also, you know, Wayne said this on Monday, I, I am really a big fan of Mount Brook Baptist Church. And, um, you know, if you were a fan of a certain school and they hired a great coach, you know, you, you get really excited about that. Well, I just have to say with the, the leadership you guys have at this church with Wayne and Mark, and I've just gotten to know the youth, the youth team recently, I'm just, as a fan, I'm very, very bullish about um, the future of this church. I'm so excited. Um, so today, uh, with the first day, we talked about the life of Christ. Second day, we talked about the death of Christ. Today, we will talk about the resurrection of Christ, and we'll be in uh, Acts chapter 10, uh, starting in verse 34. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accept, accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. 
You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He uh, he was not seen by all the people, but by the witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God anointed as judge of the living and the dead, and all the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. This is the word of the Lord. One of the most um, surprising and heartbreaking things that I have observed um, in 18 years of pastoral ministry is the number of middle-aged adults who will come to me. They grew up in intact families, a mom and a dad under the same roof. Uh, Their families or their parents were dutiful. They protected them. They provided for them. They took care of them. They did all the things that faithful parents do. Uh, but uh, this adult child has never heard their, either their mom or their dad, one of the two, say to them, I love you. Uh, they, the, the child will rationalize and say, I, I, knew, I never doubted they loved me. They, they did all the things. They said all the things. They, they, they did all the things, and uh, they showed me that they loved me. I think that that their approach was to show me that they love me by their deeds, which is a good thing. But in my entire life, I have never heard my parents say to me, I love you. This causes a, a deep wound for people that is built in because human beings have a need for clear, empirical validation of ultimate matters. Uh, We as people, we need validation on lots of things, not just the ultimate matters, but even little things. When we go to the grocery store, we put our credit card in the machine, we need to see approved for validation (laughs) that the transaction has been successful. Uh, When we cancel a reservation at a hotel, we, we need the confirmation number. We need the email that says you have canceled it because we're gonna have this sense of anxiety that, uh, that, that we're going to get charged for the reservation. Been there. Uh, when a man gets on his knee and proposes to a woman and asks her to marry him, she needs to see that concrete empirical validation <laughs> that he is sincere in his intention to marry her, right? Um, there, there is a human need, particularly for ultimate matters, for clear empirical validation. So in Acts 10, Peter delivers a sermon uh, to the Gentiles where he makes two claims. One is that Jesus is God. And the second is that the gospel is true. And he offers clear validation of the the truth of these two claims based in the supernatural works of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus, and mostly the bodily resurrection of Jesus. So I want to talk about validation in two parts. Uh, First, validation of the truth of the gospel, 
and validation of the experience of the gospel. And what I really want to communicate is that the resurrection of Jesus validates that the good news of the gospel, that is too good to be true, that it is actually true. So first, validation of the truth of the gospel. So for context, in this sermon in Acts chapter 10, Peter has just interacted with Cornelius, who is a Gentile. His audience, they are non-Jews. And he is making clear first that the gospel is relevant to everyone. He says in verse 34 and 35, when he says that God shows no partiality and that in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. So he is communicating that ethnicity doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew. The gospel is for everyone. If a person, regardless of race, responds to the gospel with repentance and faith, then they will be accepted by God. And so he is saying that this, is, this message is relevant for all of us, and, and, and it's relevant for all of us, Christian and non-Christian alike. The, the gospel is the diet of our soul. And so then Peter makes two strong propositions in this sermon. One, he says that Jesus is, in fact, the divine Messiah promised by the Old Testament prophets. Verse 36 when he mentions Jesus, he parenthetically refers to him as Lord of all, very clearly identifying Jesus as God Almighty. The second proposition is the message of the gospel, uh, which he refers to the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. The peace of which he is talking about is having peace with God, no fear of condemnation, uh, which includes all of the blessings of fellowship with the Lord. So making, after making these two propositions clear, Peter now argues the veracity of these claims uh, by pointing to two evidences, the miracles of Jesus and the bodily resurrection of Jesus. Peter declares in verse 37, he says, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. The healings and the good uh, that Peter is referring to are the supernatural works of Jesus, the raising of the dead, the, the healing of the sick, the restoring of, of the sight of the blind. And so when he says, you yourselves know, uh, he is indicating that people in Judea knew about the works of Jesus. His miracles were not a private manner that, that happened on a one-on-one -on -one encounter. On Monday, we talked about Luke 24, how Herod wanted to see Jesus because he was hoping that Jesus would do a magic show for him because he had heard that Jesus had done miraculous works throughout his territory. When Jesus turned a few loaves of bread and a few fish into enough to feed thousands there were thousands of witnesses to these miracles. When Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, the whole village would have gone to the tomb for the funeral. They saw Lazarus buried. They knew that he was dead. And a few days later, they would have seen him walking around the town. One thing to keep in mind is that nobody disputed that Jesus did miraculous works in the first and second centuries and beyond. The Jewish leaders acknowledged him. They just said that he did them out of the works of the devil. 
Even Celsus, who was a second century Greek philosopher who hated Christianity, wrote disparagingly about the faith, he acknowledged that Jesus did miracles. He said that he just did them out of the forces of evil. You really see very little questioning or dispute about the legitimacy of the miracles of Jesus until the Enlightenment, uh, when questioning anything and denying anything supernatural became a secular religion almost exclusively amongst Western white people. So secondly, Peter justifies the truth by attesting to the bodily resurrection of Jesus. Verse 39 and 40, he proclaims, we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Peter is communicating this in a manner to demonstrate that the physical resurrection of Jesus was historically factual. First, he says that God made him appear. He is saying that that Jesus, post-resurrection, could be tangibly seen. And then he says that uh, that, that he was a witness and that he was able to sit and eat with him. He's making very clear that this is a bodily resurrection that could be discerned empirically. This is not a mirage. This is not a sentimental legend of the apostles. He is saying, historically, Jesus rose from the dead. And again, like his miracles, the resurrection of Jesus was not a private matter. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians uh, Corinthians 15, Jesus was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. Most of whom are still alive. You can go talk to them. They saw Jesus risen from the dead. It is hard to fake 500 people at one time witnessing a man who had been crucified on the cross. The basis for the historical spread of Christianity, the fastest and greatest and most explosive movement in all of human history, was based on the claim of the bodily resurrection of Jesus. Not a legend, not a myth, an historical fact based on empirical evidence. Here's the point of all of this. Peter made two declarations. He said Jesus is God and the gospel is true. And the resurrection demonstrates that both of these claims are true. The resurrection demonstrates that Jesus is God because it shows that he had power over life and death. Only God has power over life and death. And it validates that the gospel is true because the gospel is God's effort to defeat sin and death. And Jesus rising from the grave validates that his mission in the gospel was accomplished. So what does this have to do with your somewhat painful opening about uh, remarks of people saying they'd never heard their parents say, I love you? That takes us to our second point, the validation of the experience of the gospel. So what is the question that every child needs answered by their parents? Is it sufficient for a child to think that their parents love them? Is it 
sufficient for them to have a pretty good idea. Probability is that my parents love them. No, that is not sufficient. A child needs to see that their parents love them, but a child needs to hear clearly and empirically from their parent, I love you, or it causes a great wound. It doesn't satisfy their soul. And so for ultimate matters that our soul starves for, we need clear empirical validation. The two pivotal questions of our soul are first, who is God? And second, how does God feel about me? So for the question, who is God? The resurrection is God sitting down with you, looking you in the eyes, pointing to the person of Jesus Christ and saying to you, this is who I am. Too often we tend to shape our view of God uh, based on our experiences and based on our circumstances. We see a child who's been diagnosed with cancer and we wonder, could God really be good? Uh, we see a world that is chaotic. We see natural disasters. We wonder, could God really be in control? Uh, we pray prayers that are not answered in the way we would hope or expect. And we wonder, is, is God distant? Does he really, is he personal? Does he really hear my prayers? And Christ emerging from the grave tells us, that Jesus himself is the truest revelation of who God is. Paul writes in Colossians that the Son is the image of the invisible God. The author of Hebrews states that Christ is the exact representation of God's being in nature. And that person, that person of Jesus Christ, he is good. He is loving. He is kind. He is pure. He is flawless. He is just in all of his ways. Do not look to your experiences or the world around you to answer the question on who God is. Look to the person of Jesus Christ. Secondly, for the question, how does God feel about me? We, again, too often want to answer this question based on the ups and downs of life. I can remember living on this roller coaster as a high school kid, a girl would break up with me. Oh, God is against me. <laughs> I would succeed in something. God is for me. I sprained my ankle five days before Southeastern Championships and swimming my senior year. God is angry with me. Alabama beats a team on a Saturday. Auburn loses. God is good. <laughs> the NCAA gives Alabama probation. God is not just. <laughs> being serious, you may be able to identify with this. You may be in a particular season or have had a season like this where it feels like one thing after the other keeps on happening. And you're just sitting there in this pattern waiting for the next shoe to drop. And you start to, to internally either explicitly or implicitly ask the question, like, what have I done? to make God dislike me like this. That's a, that is a real thing. The resurrection of Jesus tells us that the crucifixion wasn't just some guy who got a raw deal from the Roman government. Jesus rising, rising from the grave tells us 
that it was God Almighty up on that cross. It was God coming down to rescue us from death and to forgive our sins. He cares about us that much. And so the resurrection of Jesus is God sitting down with you, looking you in the eyes and pointing to the cross and saying to you, I am for you. I am on your side. Now, as we struggle with these questions, as we journey through life with Jesus, the resurrection gives us the clear empirical validation that we need to answer the ultimate questions of our heart. Do you struggle to believe that God has actually forgiven you for all that you've done? Christ has risen. You are forgiven. Do you struggle to believe that God is with you? Christ is risen. You are not alone. Do you struggle to believe that God is for you? Christ is risen. God is on your side. Do you struggle to believe that God actually loves you? Christ is risen. God loves you. Christ is risen. And that means that every last ounce of the good news of Jesus is absolutely true. Let us pray. Lord, we just thank you so much. And we ask that you would glorify yourself in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Closing hymn is page 185, again the old rugged cross, and today we'll sing stanza three. May we stand as we sing. Thanks again. Um, your presence here for our church is a reminder of the importance of what we do. That um, who knows, we might walk down an aisle one day um, because of the ministry of our church and then get up and proclaim the gospel. And so um, thank you for your faithfulness here and your kind words about our church and all that God's done in your life through it. And um, we look forward to seeing all that God's going to continue to do um, in your ministry. I'm going to offer um, a closing prayer for us. and. It will serve as our blessing, and I hope that you will make the time to join us for lunch down in Heritage Hall. If you haven't been to Heritage Hall, just follow the group. We'll show you how to get there. I invite you, if you would, to pray with me. Lord, we thank you for Scripture. We thank you for 
sermon of Peter that Cameron read for us and explained to us so well this morning. I pray that you would help us be encouraged in our faith and the reality of the resurrected Jesus and all that it means for us. Um, pray for Cameron that you bless him and his family, that you bless his ministry at Cathedral Church of the Advent through Rooted and through his writings, that you give him the grace that he needs to be a conduit of your blessing to others. We thank you for those who have cooked the food, those who will help serve it. Lord, help us to eat it with grateful hearts. We offer this prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Great work.